the Ortho PAC, hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Hello, listeners, and welcome back. Thank you for being with us today. Today, you get me chatting just on a solo topic. I wanted to talk some more about fracture reductions. We did a bit a few weeks ago on distal radius, and I thought today would be uh, interesting to do some on finger fractures and toe fractures. Very common that I see these in my walk-in urgent care, and I think most of you, if you're working in uh, urgent cares, will see these. So let's start with finger fractures. Finger fractures, the mechanisms, you, you can imagine. There are so many different ways that people break their fingers from falling to running into something at night to lifting something too heavy to someone, you know, wax them with a stick while they're playing lacrosse. There are any number of ways that someone can fracture their finger. Finger fractures are very concerning, though, that a small fracture can actually result in a functional loss for somebody. So you have to be very cognizant of finger fractures. Sometimes they're really easy to see, and sometimes they're not so easy to see, and you rely a lot on your clinical exam. Different places of the finger can be fractured, of course. Usually operative indications would be things like spiral or oblique fractures, uh, multiple finger fractures. If there is an open fracture or if you cannot get a good reduction, all of these are possible reasons why you would need to send them to the OR. But let's talk about closed fractures with either an ulnar radial deviation or, or maybe even a little bit of malrotation, although that is going to be more challenging to correct uh, with a closed reduction. Very commonly, someone comes in, they're guarding their hand, and let's just say it's the long finger. Let's just say they've got a base of the proximal phalanx long finger fracture. It's swollen, and it happened a day or two ago, and, and what are you going to do? First of all, I determine uh, the amount of swelling and the deviation of the finger, and the best way to do that, in my experience, is to compare it to the opposite hand. So I look at the, the patient is sitting on the table facing me, and I have their hands toward me with their palms down, and I hold both wrists and ask them to relax their hands and kind of tilt their wrists forward toward me a little bit so I can see their fingers on both hands. And then I will ask them to kind of gently flex and extend, and that gives you a really good idea. Is it just swelling or is there actually a fracture that's causing them to have this degree of displacement? Also, the x-rays will help, but x-rays aren't always as worrisome as a clinical exam, and, and the clinical exam sometimes doesn't look so bad, and you have a worrisome finding on an x-ray. So you have to use the two in unison. You have to kind of make a judgment based on those two things. I'll also have the patient do a palm up, have them supinate and pronate, and I'll also have them do the gentle flexion and extension and, and kind of get an idea from that. Is it deviating or not? And is it rotating or not? If I have someone with a malrotated finger, I'll probably ask the hand team if they think I should you know, try to fix this unless it looks like something that I feel like I can reduce. Sometimes you don't know. A lot of times our hand team will ask us to try a reduction at least. And if we're unsuccessful, then you know, let them know at that point. So it just depends on your doc and your level of experience. The actual reduction of a finger fracture, let's go back to our long finger. For the anesthesia, I like to inject lidocaine 1%. Some people put a little sodium bicarbonate in their lidocaine to reduce the amount of stinging, but I don't think that's absolutely necessary. It's just an option. 
And what I will do is infiltrate the lidocaine. I like to use a small gauge needle. I actually have some 27 gauge needles that I do the initial injection with. Very helpful when you're doing pediatrics to have that tiny needle as well. And then I'll switch from a 27 to a 25 once I start getting some lidocaine in. About 5 to 10 cc's of lidocaine, 1%. I like to do the metacarpal phalangeal block. I inject some dorsally, some along the radial and ulnar side. And then if I'm not getting a good block that way, you can also do the volar aspect, almost like doing a trigger finger injection, but you're injecting local. Our hand doc, uh, or one of our hand docs, likes to do that injection for most of his blocks. I find that it works pretty good for me, but I also need to do the other injections as well to make sure I get a good block. So it just depends. I mean, you could do one and then do more if you needed to. As far as reducing the fracture, finger fractures are a little tricky. We'll talk about the proximal phalanx. It's difficult to get an abutment against the, the finger so it doesn't wiggle or move when you're trying to push it back into place. So what you need is a pen or a pencil or something similar size that you put it in where the, the fracture is deviated away from. You put it on the opposite side and that gives you a buttress. And then what you can do is put both thumbs on that pen and pull the finger and you'll feel it go back into place. And the alignment is almost instantly better. This works like a charm. It's like one of the easiest reductions you can do and it saves a whole lot of headaches for the the surgeon, the patient. So uh, think about this. It's, it's a really good technique. So let's say long fingers fractured, deviated toward the ulnar side. I would put my pin in between the index and long finger on the non-deviated side and pull the finger back toward me. And that's how I would get the reduction. Post-care, any post-fracture has to be splinted. And you should splint it before you take the patient to x-ray to get your films, your post-reduction films. For a long finger, I'll do like a radial gutter splint, small and ring fingers, uh, ulnar gutter splint. The initial splint, I will extend down to the level of the DIP. You can allow DIP range, uh, but you want to protect the PIP and the MCP joint. Thumb fracture is a little bit different. You might want to use a plaster uh, thumb spica splint, and that typically will hold it stable. Again, I allow some DIP motion. For toe fractures, very common, same kind of thing where you do your local anesthetic. Now, I don't inject local from the, the sole of the foot. I just do it around the dorsum and the radial and ulnar sides. But you have to get a good block. And once you get a good block, toe fractures are, are the same thing. You put a little number two lead pencil or similar size pin, buttress against it, and pull the toe back. And it usually reduces well. Toe fractures, you know, not as much uh, follow-up, actually. Our foot and ankle docs really don't like to see them back post-reduction toe fractures. If there's a reason to see them back, but if, if you got a good stable result, it, it's just basically time for it to heal. And then if they have any questions, they can let you know. But I, more often than not, won't even have toe fractures come back in. The other thing about toe fractures, I typically will put them into a post-op shoe or even a boot. A lot of people want to wear sandals, open-toed sandals. That's okay. You can tape the toes. In my experience, more often than not, it's the fifth toe. It just seems to get in the way, but it can be any toe. After you reduce it, you can tape the toes and have them wear sandals or you know similar kinds of shoes. Post-op shoes or foot and ankle dock likes carbon fiber inserts. Those are nice, but they're also pricey, so keep that part in mind. If you're buddy taping the toes, a good way to do it, I like to do it with Coban and, you know, it's, it's either too tight, too loose or just right. So make sure you get that just right category. 
and I'll go once or twice around the toes. So when you buddy tape any digits, make sure there's some cotton padding in between. Doesn't have to be much, but enough to keep the skin dry so you don't have skin maceration breakdown. Anyways, buddy tape the two uh, toes. Uh, let's say it's the fourth and fifth with a couple of times around. And then I will extend the coban around the ball of the foot, back around the top of the foot, back around, and then grab the toes again. If you don't have that anchor that's holding the buddy taping, it typically falls right off within a very short time. So don't forget that you need to anchor when you're buddy taping. And the buddy taping and whatever shoe that you and the patient decide on is adequate. You don't want to need a splint or cast or anything like that. And like I said earlier, very infrequent to have uh, toe fractures come back in, foot and ankle docks. Uh, you know, there's not a lot they're going to do with it. So just let it heal. Okay, that covers basics of some finger fracture reductions and toe fracture reductions. I hope you got some good information out of this. I also want to give you some more information. Our Charlotte conference is coming up in May, May 20th through the 21st, 2022 at the Hilton Charlotte Uptown. The title of the meeting is Extremities in the Carolinas, Arthritis to Arthroplasty. And I am looking at the brochure now and we have several topics that I think we'll find interesting. The painful pediatric hip, evaluation of a limping child, uh, cartilage repair and restoration, radiologic interpretation of the hip, gluteus medius tears and abductor dysfunction, day two workup of a painful total hip, a single stage exchange for PJI, regional nerve blocks for knee pain. And these are just samples of the talks. There are many more talks than this, but you kind of get the idea. We're actually doing this live and there is a virtual option. So if you're interested in that, check out the website, check out the details and sign up for it. We have a few spaces left and would like to fill the seats. Uh, PAOS.org under the CME and you'll find the event. We hope to see you there. Come and get 14 and a half Category 1 CME credit hours for the conference and five Category 1 CME credits for the self-assessment exam, or actually seven and a half when you count the bonus points. So all total up to 22 hours that you can get from this meeting. Okay, guys, thanks a lot. And talk next week. Thank you for joining the OrthoPAC podcast. Please follow the Physician Assistance in Orthopedic Surgery on social media. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Please subscribe to our podcast. If this has been helpful, please take a moment to leave a review.